I wonder what you would, uh, how you would answer this question. Describe to me, can you describe to me the benefits of being a child of the Father? How do you describe that? How would you describe the generosity and the grace of God the Father? You see, one of the things that we looked at last week is we looked at uh, predestination. And, you know, one of the threats that predestination brings with it is that people lose sight of what God's character is like. And they lose sight of the fact that He's good and He's gracious. And we can actually get God's character wrong because we can spin off into things that aren't actually biblically true when we're faced with a theology that challenges us and pushes us beyond sometimes the limits of our uh, understanding. I want to say to you this morning that God is unflinchingly generous. Do you hear that? He is unflinchingly generous. Now, some of you know that in the Australian taxation system, uh, generosity is hard to find sometimes. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So we're just going to take your stuff. That's what we're doing with the taxation system. But here's, here's the thing. In the Australian taxation system, there's something called family tax benefit. All right? You know what that is? It's a financial benefit because you've got a family. Okay? And that's where we go today. It's like, what are the benefits of being in the family? If you're one of God's children, what are the benefits of actually being in the family? And I almost showed you a, a soothers ad. Does anyone remember that soothers ad? Like, I want you to go down the street. Do you remember that one? It's this dude speaking like that and he's telling this guy in the, in the family, go down and the guy goes, who do you want me to rub out? Oh, you want me to rub out the storekeeper? And he goes, no, just give me some soothers. You know? And it's like, you get a sense in there. It's like there's a family there and it's like you're in the family and things kind of come with the family. So what benefit do you get by being in God's family? So open up to um, Ephesians chapter 1. All right, Ephesians 1. We're going to read this uh, magnificent uh, long sentence. So verse 3 to 14, which is actually one sentence in Greek, which is the original language of uh, the New Testament. So Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Can you go back up to verse 7? You know, we're just going to do verse 7 and 8 today. Listen to this. I mean, this is... Have you ever had something that's like... I'm just going to have to sit down and just have a think about that, right? I'm reading a book at the moment and it's so deep and so profound. I just like two pages and it's like, I'm just going to need a day, all right? So you've just given me a one kilo T-bone, all right? And I'm just not getting through that in the next five minutes, all right? So look at verse 7 and 8. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. He's got an amen for me. Isn't that good? Let me tell you something. You know what redemption's about? Redemption is about freeing someone from slavery. It's about liberation from imprisonment and bondage. Okay? It's for slaves or prisoners. Okay? Now, what I want you to do, just have a look at your Bible there. Can anyone tell me the first four words of verse 70? In him we have. All right? Can someone tell me what tense that is? Present. All right? This is present, ongoing, continuous. Oh, do you get that? So what we're talking about is we're not talking about an, an, an event that happened in the past only. We're talking about a continuous ongoing reality. All right? So now have a think about it. If you, if you, th- if you realize that redemption is about liberation from, from, for captives and for prisoners, is that good news? You live in an ongoing reality where God actually wants to liberate you and is liberating you from things that bind you. Who thinks that's good news? Oh, heck yeah. Like it's even better than what that sounded. True? Oh, that is amazing because you know there's one thing that we know about humans is humans find lots of ways to get stuck. Don't they? You ever notice that? Lots and lots of ways to get stuck. But before I get to that, let's, um, let's go to this. How is it that we actually get stuck? Well, I'm, there's lots of ways humans get stuck. I'm just going to hit up two of them okay here's the thing we get stuck in sin and we get stuck in the law okay here's the first one we get stuck in sin all right all you need to do is you need to go to romans chapter 6 romans 6 talks about how strong the the uh the slavery of sin is all right it's very very powerful and it's actually far more powerful than probably what you give it credit for okay I'll tell you one thing that happens, you get sin starts to come in and starts to rule over something, you got people in trouble, you got people stuck, you got people in prison, people that need freedom, okay? And I'll tell you, for every single person here today, I would say without any shadow of a doubt that you are stuck in some areas that you need redemption from, okay? Which is why it's good news that Jesus' redemption, you see in the Bible you've got the redemption that's purchased by Jesus on the cross, that's worked out in the in-between bit and is finished when Jesus comes back and totally frees you from everything. Okay? So Jesus did everything here to purchase your redemption, but it's actually getting worked out in the details in between then, when you live and when Jesus comes back, it's getting worked out in the details and that's really, really good news. Now here's the thing. I think Christians can give the devil a bad reputation, okay? I think that they can blame the devil for things that are our fault. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Now, there are things that are the devil's fault, and he makes things particularly difficult. But I'll tell you this, the power of the devil, and this is not, I'm not giving you a theology of the devil, right? So the devil's a fallen angel, okay? Do you know what the power of the devil is? One of the main kind of central weapons that he's got? Your sin. That's what he's got. He's got your sin. He's got, he's got where you get stuck, where you go after stuff. Now, let's just think a little bit more about the nature of the way that sin actually works. Why does sin actually enslave? Well, you, you probably have heard it here at the project uh, a bunch of times, but sin enslaves because you actually serve what you worship. So, 
Here's a bit of a process, one way of expressing the process by which people can actually get stuck in sin. So if you look at the left-hand side there, it says uh, there's a lie that life exists outside of God. Now, if you remember back to what the devil said in Genesis 3, that's what he said. So there's life that exists outside of God. Then what actually happens is humans exchange God for a lie, which is what Romans 1 actually says, which involves the worship of it. You end up serving what you worship. And then, you know, what actually happens is the absorption of a lie is a repeating trap. Because all you've got to do is absorb the lie once and then you keep absorbing, absorbing, absorbing and you think it's actually going to keep satisfying you even when it doesn't. So you know what I'm talking about? So about a month ago, I was in Perth and I got to sit on a bus with some guys from a drug rehab. And you know what one of them said to me? He said, the first hit that you get from taking ice, the drug ice, is the best feeling in the world. And he said, and you know what happens after that is you spend the rest of your time trying to get that first hit. And you know what? You never, ever get it again. That's what he said. But you keep going after it. And I mean, you could actually kind of pull that apart and kind of separate all of that and just go, what are the lies that they're believing at that moment? But can you see what's actually happening there? It's like, believe a lie, repeating trap. Once you believe one lie, it's easy to believe another one. And you just keep going after it and after it and after it. And you're slowly but surely moving well away from freedom and life and you're moving into uh, bondage. Now, let me just... um, Before I I go to the next bit about sin being slavery to death, I mean, on a previous screen there, I talked about how you can be enslaved, in a sense, to the law. What do I mean by that? Well, Deuteronomy 27, 26 uh, says this, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. You know, there's not one person in this whole room that has fulfilled God's law and acted rightly in everything. And do you know what? There's a curse upon people who don't fulfill God's law fully. Listen to Galatians 3 verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So you know what Galatians 3 is saying? It's saying you might go out and you go, I'm going to work my way back to favour with God. And Paul's going, no, you can't do that either. Not only are you under a curse because you've actually disobeyed God, you actually can't get back to him by doing good works. You're stuck. There's a power that's over you that you can't actually get out from underneath. There's a, there's a sense that there's something there to do you harm because you actually haven't fulfilled God's law. So is everyone getting a, a feel for this? It's like we're, we're in a desperate place. We're in, we're in a terrible place that we can't actually get out of ourselves. Now let me just push it one step further. You see, you've got the slavery that comes from sin because you've absorbed a lie and it just keeps repeating on you like a bad curry, right? I shouldn't say that, should I? And then you've got the law in there, like there's a curse from the law. Let me just make it even worse, all right? When you're a slave to sin, by definition, you've actually been alienated from life. Now, who is the source, the centre and life? Who's that? It's Jesus, right? That's what Acts says. It says Jesus is the author of life, all right? So just think for a second with me, right? You're in the Garden of Eden, buck naked, okay? That's probably a freaky thing for you right now, but you're in there and you've actually got unrestricted access to God, all right? 
There's no sin in the world. You're connected to life. You with me? You just are. There's nothing stopping you. You're actually connected to life. What actually happens? Adam and Eve go, no, we don't want to be connected to you anymore. Now, let me ask you this question. If you don't want to be connected to life, and he is the life that... (laughs) Every bit of life comes from him, right? He is life. Like if you decide that you don't want to be connected to life, what happens? You die. Like you have to, don't you? Like that, that just makes sense. It's not, this is not rocket science, really, is it? It's like you're going to die because you're not connected to life. Now, I don't know who on earth is chainsawing underwater, okay? You can do uh, deep sea diving by having a pipe going uh, to the surface without actually carrying a tank, right? Does anyone know what that's called? It's called surface supply diving. There you go, I did some research. Now listen, if this guy with his chainsaw takes to his air tube and he's too deep to get up without dying, what's going to happen to him? He has to. He has to. So here's the thing, here's the state that humanity was in. This is a state that we're in. We have a way of taking to our air tube with a chainsaw, don't we? And Jesus comes in at the start and kind of patches the thing up and says, no, I'm going to connect you back to me. And that, but here's the truth, right? In an ongoing sense, we still have moments where we take to the, the, the tube with a chainsaw, true? Yeah. So here's the thing. Here, what, what's my point? My point is that you're stuck in a sense. Unless someone comes and redeems you from being enslaved and imprisoned, you're stuck. You can't get out. You're actually enslaved to it. And if we go back a step here, right, you're actually enslaved in a sense to death. Aren't you? Because you've started something that you can't stop and the only option with being disconnected from life is death. And on top of that, you know, we get into Hebrews 2 and we, get, we just find that humans aren't just stuck with a death spiral, all right? We're in this kind of death spiral, but humans are actually stuck even then in the fear of death, the fear of physical death, right? That's what Hebrews 2, so there's another enslavement that actually goes on here. So you know what this brings us to? (laughs) It brings us to what I quickly mentioned before, is that Jesus is where life is. He is life. And you've heard this so many times, but listen to this. John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, What's eternal life? Some of you might go, oh, it's streets of gold, it's pearly gates, it's being happy, it's having a big house, all right? Or maybe, I don't know, a V8 Commodore. You know what eternal life is? Listen to this. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. See, eternal life is actually connecting to God. That's what life is. Now, Someone came up to me last week and argued the toss on some of the things I said, which is okay, and that happens. And if you want to argue with me, that's it. we can argue, all right? We'll be nice about it. I'll give you a cuddle at the end, all right? It'll be fine, right? But this person last week came up to me, and I just made the comment. I said, you know what? I said, sometimes I think God um, allows suffering to come into his kids' lives to do a good work in them, all right? And I actually think sometimes God even brings suffering into, into the kids' lives to, to do a good work in them, all right? 
And um, he was just going, whoa, 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 just hang on here. He goes, that doesn't sound right. And I said, well, I said, if you look at Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 said that God, God's a good father. And what does he do? He disciplines his children. And whether you like it or not, what you're doing when you're disciplining your kids is bringing suffering into their lives. <laughs> All right. Is that true? Okay. So he quoted to me, he said, um, and you don't need to freak out that I'm going to do this to you if I have a conversation with you. But I'm just saying this. I'm not telling you who it was. All right. And he's not even here. Okay, now you're all going, oh, okay, who wasn't here? Um, you know what he quoted to me? He actually said this. He said, okay, I've got a problem with what you're saying. I said, okay. Uh, he goes, didn't Jesus say that he came that they might have life and have life abundantly? He goes, it doesn't sound like you're getting abundant life if God's bringing suffering into your life. You know what I said to him? I said, well, you know what you need to do before you define abundance is define life. That's what you need to do. And you know what life is? Life is connection and communion and fellowship and relationship with Jesus. That's what life is. And everything else in your life is going to be lower than that on the priority list. Okay? And some of you know that. Some of you have been through some really, really brutal things, but you know that in the midst of the brutal things, you've had the most precious thing. You've had God himself with you. And you know what? I'm not saying that God doesn't want to help you and he doesn't want to heal you. And we go out and we pray for people's healing and God does stuff around the place like through the elders in the church here. All right. But the whole deal for us at the church here is the problem with us is we've disconnected from God. That puts us in a death spiral. All right. In so many ways. All right, and you guys know it. Like you start blowing it and you start following your temptations and just engaging in that stuff, and parts of you just start to die. You're kind of like a leper, right? You know, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You're looking at me like a paddock of chaos just at the moment. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? The only way that you can get out of a death spiral is if someone comes in and rescues you. You need redemption. You can't do it on your own, you can't buy yourself out of slavery what did God do for us what did Jesus do for us well he resurrected us didn't he he can deep sea dive <laughs> he can get down he he is life he is life and he comes in the, on the cross for you and he dies for you and he gets you out of a death spiral anyone got a hallelujah for that yeah. praise the lord right and here's even better news than the fact that he got you out of a death spiral. He's operating every single day of your life to get you out of death spirals. Is that not good news? Because you know what? Some of you are going to get in one this afternoon. You just will. You'll get in a death spiral and you'll be stuck in it. And you'll need someone to rescue you. And I'll tell you something. There is no other saviour than Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian here today, there is no other saviour. You can try and make other things saviours. But there is no other saviour than Jesus Christ. This is what God is doing in an ongoing way. God is working like just, I feel like I'm saying stuff that you've heard so many times before, right? But this is immeasurably rich, right? Think about it. God's plan for your life is to free you from bondage all the time. That is the plan, all right? There is no other plan. He's working for you to be free. And even working for slaves and prisoners who don't want to be free to, fr to be free. Who knows that that can happen in your life? There can be areas in your life where you're just going, 
Oh, look, yeah, the payoff's too good. I'll take the hit on the imprisonment to get the payoff. And Jesus is going, no, we're, we're not doing that either. We're, we are doing life abundant, and life abundant is you being free and you being in complete communion with me. That is the objective. But the truth is, as I said before, we're still in some unhelpful patterns, aren't we? We are people who have been redeemed, if you love Jesus, and we're being redeemed. That's what this verse is saying. And there's an opportunity here, just as I, as I just slow down and, and just lessen the tempo a little bit. For you to worship him. That he's, that he's operating on your behalf right now. Right now. Like if, if I asked you at the end of this point here, what is God's heart for you? One answer you should be able to give really quickly is that I be redeemed in every area of my life, that I be free. It would be weird, wouldn't it, if God came to someone who was tied up with a rope and said, I love you, and left them tied up. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, if a dad walks in and his kid and his kid's stuck doing something, it'd be weird for a dad just to leave the kid trapped and say, I love you, kid. Just go, well, yeah. Okay, well, can you get me out of this? <laughs> and the answer is yes. That's what he's doing. And I want to say to you this morning, and I want to say it as warmly as I possibly can, I, I, just, I, want, I want to encourage you to welcome his redemption. Don't, don't push back on it. We, sh- we still get stuck, don't we, in the lie that the devil kind of peddles. That he's not good. I mean, I, I confess to the elders on Friday night, I, I still have that doubt. It's like, God, I want your plan. And part of me's going, as long as it's the same one as mine. <laughs> All right? That's, I'll be happy with that one, you know? And then you're going, well, what if it's not? It's, well, I don't know. Well, maybe I'll just take over. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. He's good, right? He's a generous, lavish giver whose <laughs> agenda is to bring freedom to you. So you just, you welcome that. And you get on that travel later and you don't know where it ends. But you're with someone who loves you so much, he wants to be so tight with you, you can trust him. And it'll be okay. Children, one of the benefits of being a child of God is you get redemption, not just initially, but you get ongoing redemption and final redemption. Ephesians 4.30 talks about, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom... You are sealed for the day of redemption. There's a day coming. Is anyone here? Just stick your hand up. You just go, I, really, I get really tired with myself and my own little mechanisms to get me trapped. Is anyone with me on that? All right. It's really sucky, right? Who here is looking forward to a day where those mechanisms are not going to be operating anymore? Amen. All right. Now, here's the thing. God's already got you on the track there. All right. So just be confident about that. It's going to go well. All right. It's going to go, and he wants you to know that today. It's going to go well. And you can trust him and you can follow him when you can't see the end. Okay? It's okay if it's a high fields fog and you can't see out of it if you're with someone who can see through it. Amen? Number two, children get forgiveness. How many times a day do you sin? 
How many times a day do you trespass? Every time that you love something more than God, you sin. In the details. I'm not talking about big things. I'm just, I'm talking about, I don't know, how many detailed times in the day do you actually sin? And some of you go, well, there's some days I don't even think about God. All right? I'll try telling that to your wife. I didn't even think about you today. Is that going to appear very loving? She's going to be really drawn to you at that moment, isn't she? So it's like this... This guy really loves me. He didn't even think about me. Do you get my point? Sometimes you can get through the day and you go, I didn't even think about God. And there's part of me that just goes, well, what happened to my heart that day? If he's that good and he's that close to me, how do I get through a day without even thinking about him? And then maybe even a day, maybe you're someone who's just going, yeah, like I pray to him in the morning and then I pray at night. And I'm just going, well, what about the rest of it? Some of you are going, oh, what are you saying? We're going to have a discipline praying more. I'm going, no, you're actually doing a relationship, all right? If you only ever spoke to your spouse twice a day, it would be a weird relationship or things are not going well. Is there anyone with me on that? So you talk to him because he's your friend and he's your dad and you just say stuff to him. So here's the thing. <laughs> you need rescuing and forgiveness every single day. And here's another point I just want to say. You know, this is going to be weird for you, right? But you know who you need rescuing from? yourself and you know who ultimately whose who's law have you transgressed God himself so you get I wasn't going to go into it and I won't but just for a moment right you, sometimes in Christianity there's this idea that when humans sin they go over to the devil's side and that the ransom that God has to pay is to buy people back from the devil it's just rubbish right that God owes the devil nothing Nothing, except a whole bunch of comeuppance, all right? Which he's going to get, okay? He actually doesn't owe him anything. So when you sin, you're actually sinning against God. And some of you just go, oh, well, why does he have to actually send someone to die on the cross so that I'll get forgiven? You know why? Because every single relationship that you do, if you're going to forgive someone, you're actually taking on board suffering and the pain that that other person has done to you. It's just the way that relationships work. And it's the way that relationships work that when someone offends you, you can either deal that back to them in revenge, and in God's case, it wouldn't be revenge, it would be justice, or you can absorb that within yourself. How does God absorb it? On the cross. I mean, think about that. That God relationally had the opportunity to give you a big uppercut, right? He did, didn't he? He could give you a big uppercut, and he actually said no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to absorb this pain in me. That's what I'm going to do so that I can have a relationship with you. You see, God rescues us from God. <laughs> and that, that may sound weird to you, but in a very real sense, that when we forgive someone, there's a very real sense in, in which we're rescuing someone else from ourselves. The offence that's been caused, all right? Now, I want to be careful with that because that metaphor gets a bit messy. But you get the point that I'm trying to make there. I want to read you... Uh, you guys able to find the book of Zechariah? Is anyone even... Some of you going, is that even in the Bible? Who's, who's never read Zechariah? Come on, be honest. All right, a few people. Come on, can you open up to it? Zechariah, it's like right toward the end of the Old Testament. I'd give you the page number, but my Bible's different and that would just confuse you. 
You can look up the, uh, the index, the contents page. So basically you've got Zechariah and then Malachi and then Matthew, the book of Matthew. So if you can find Matthew, go back a couple of books. Here's, um, here's a, a beautiful, we're at chapter 3, so uh, a beautiful little interchange which gives you a bit of insight into the devil's power but it also gives you an insight into God's heart for you. Listen to this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing in his right hand to accuse him. All right? What would Satan be accusing people of? Sin, right? Someone say sin over there? Sin, okay? So this is back to that whole thing, right? This is not a theology of Satan, but it is back to that thing, right? The, the devil's weapon is sin, okay? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now listen to this. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Now you know in the Old Testament, you know... Uh, the words, the Hebrew words used to translate filthy uh, communicate things like feces and vomit, okay? So you just, you just think about it in this kind of context here. There's a guy standing there with garments on that have got poo and vomit on them, all right? Now that's pretty repulsive. Is anyone with me on that? It's just like you're not inviting that person over for dinner, okay? Can you go home and have an acid bath and then you can come over for dinner? Verse 4, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. Isn't that beautiful? You get to go from poo and vomit <laughs> to royal clothing. And do you know what's so good about this? Is that Jesus paid the price for all of your forgiveness, but his forgiveness is present tense active every single day. And you get to be pure every single day. And you get to get up every single morning and, and, and say to God, and I remember I was talking to one of my sons the other day who um, did some stuff that, that was messy. I prayed with him that night and I said, God, I'm asking that you forgive my boy and that you cleanse him so that tomorrow he can get up fresh and he gets a new start. Now, I don't know that we always think enough, if you've been a Christian for a while, about how good that is to get a new start. True? And some of you have relationships with people where you wish you could have a new start. And you can't. For whatever reason, I don't know what the reason is. There's lots of different reasons why people won't give each other a fresh start. But do you know what God does? He gives you a fresh start every single time that you blow it. Now, I want to just hang here for a minute. Because in our experience, forgiveness is a bit precarious, right? So I just want you to think for a minute. So thinking human to human, right? You do something... You do something wrong, right? So your option then is, I'm actually going to go and I'm, I want to restore this relationship, okay? Now, some people, it's hard enough just to say sorry, right? Some people can't even do that. I mean, that's been the old joke. 
on sitcoms for decades, all right? Can't even, sorry, you know, that kind of thing. Remember the Fonz, that, that's terrible. You guys remember the, that's embarrassing. I'm just going to have to trim that out of the internet version. Here's the thing, sorry, I think sorry is for mistakes. I think forgiveness is for intentional wrongdoing, Okay. So one of the things uh, I, I tell my children is I say, when you go and say sorry to someone, when you've done it intentionally, you go up, you say sorry, you name what you did wrong, and then you ask for a gracious transaction. Now, I don't say it like that to them, but that's what you're doing. You're asking for a gracious transaction. You're asking them to release the debt that you've created. All right? Now, when you're actually restoring a relationship, the point at which you're asking for forgiveness is the scary bit, right? Because they might... They mightn't forgive you. True? And that's a bit scary. Okay? Now, some of you go, not scary at all. And you say that because you don't really care that much about the relationship, probably. You just think, well, I've done my bit. There's nothing else I can do. But if you really care about the relationship, what they say next is really, really important. Let me just heighten this a little bit. What would the suspense be like if your life was on the line? What if you were like Myron Sukumaran or Andrew Chan and you were going to a judge and asking for their for clemency? You're asking for mercy and for forgiveness and your life was on the line. Think about how precarious that point is. You with me? And do you know what? At that point, we're getting closer to what it's like to ask God for forgiveness because your life is in his hands. And there's a lot riding on what he says after that. Can you even begin to, to plumb the depths of the amazement of this verse I'm about to read? You, you know this verse. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What am I saying? I'm saying... The privilege that you have as family, as a son or a daughter of God, is that the answer is always forgiven. Always. Do you get that? Like, that ought to stir up in you a worshipful heart, right? It just goes, that is incredible, right? Because in your world, I'm sure that that doesn't happen all the time. I'm sure that you've done stuff and people have just gone, I don't forgive you, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm just saying, the stuff that you've done to other humans is not even close to what you've done to God, all right? And, and what it did to him on the cross, right? To forgive you. And, and then he says, for kids, for my kids, for my kids, they live in a sphere of forgiveness of trespasses all the time. And that doesn't change. It's a present tense reality that that's actually happening. And here's where I want to finish. I want to finish by looking at um, this whole notion of ongoing family benefits. Can you have a look there? Flip back over to Ephesians 1. You know, what I reckon Paul's trying to do here is uh, he's trying to describe that to you without you ever having seen Times Square and without you ever, ever having been there. And he's even trying to 
it's even, it's even, better, it's even bigger and better than that. Do you get what I'm saying? He's, he's just going, not just redemption, not just forgiveness, but all of this is coming out of the riches of his grace. And then even after he says, do you notice, have a look down there in, uh, in verse uh, 7, it says, according, you get redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then he's going, as if that's not enough, which he lavished upon us. You get that? It's just, it's like, let me tell you what Times Square is like, all right? And the thing is, I was there and I took that photo, but that photo doesn't even capture it, all right? That is a technological way of communicating to you through pixels what Times Square is like, all right? What we're seeing in Ephesians 1 is Paul using language to try to get a handle on the riches of God's grace to you. You know, this is not a past event. It's an ongoing reality. You see, one of the things that, some of the circles that I move in, people talk about the gospel, okay? And I was at a meeting, I actually called the guy from the States when I was over there, and I said, mate, I was in a meeting, and I just want to talk to you about what you mean by the gospel, all right? Now, you probably don't move in these circles as much, but I've moved in these circles a little bit, and there's a, there's a whole circle of churches that talk about the gospel only as a historical fact and reality, all right? Now, it's never, ever, ever less than that. But you know what the gospel does? The gospel is the good news that Jesus came to set you free and to forgive your trespasses. But it's not only an historical event, it's an ongoing reality that God actually wants to usher you in to live in a gospel reality all of the time. You see, redemption is in accord with the fullness of God's grace. Do you see that? God gives to you in proportion to his fullness in terms of his riches all right and it's like at at that point i just go you gave us jesus like i can't even compute that right he dies on the cross and and then we're reading here it's like god's giving in proportion to his riches and i'm just going what how big is that bucket what I, i don't know pretty big isn't it you know i mean and then it's just he's lavishing you know and it makes so much sense in the bible that god would say to you be generous and i'm not just talking about money i'm talking about across your whole life why someone tell me why why should you be generous because absolutely because god has just overflowed with generosity toward you and blown you away with how lavish and good he is toward you. Here's where I want to, uh, I want to finish. You are highly favoured. Do you hear that? You are. You're highly favoured. You, you, you all need to hear this. He loves you. And he's generous to you. And he's not stingy. And he doesn't use shopper dockets to get out of it cheaply. All right? First Peter tells us that you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ. You know, the, probably the most precious thing to God was given to you, his son. And do you know what? You can have confidence, right? Because you know that you live, if you're his kid, 
one of the family benefits is forgiveness of trespasses. Okay? So right now, you don't have to be sitting there just going, yeah, but I might blow it tomorrow and he mightn't like me anymore. Really? I don't think Paul would say that. Paul would say, oh, he's got that covered. And even more than having that covered, he doesn't just want to forgive you of blowing it. He wants to stop you from blowing it because he wants you to stop getting in prison and trapped and enslaved to things. The gospel reality that you get to live in is lavish. 